Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording called Six Signs That Someone Is Struggling. Hope you enjoy. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Today's room is titled Six Rest Six Red Flags of Struggling People, Geared Towards the Hospitality Industry, um, created by Chef Jensen Cummings of Best Served Podcast. This room will last an hour and a half, and we will open the hand-raising feature several times during our program. Uh, This will happen after the moderators have introduced themselves and um, shared their viewpoints. This room is being recorded and will air on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time on Best Served Podcast. The link and details are listed in Chef Jensen Cummings' Clubhouse bio. Uh, uh, Also, don't worry if you don't want your segment to be included in the podcast. Just DM Chef Jensen to let him know. Um, We would love it if you could click click on the plus icon at the bottom to invite more people into the room. It's going to be a very powerful room that might bring some value to some people you know. We also want to remind you that this app is all about the connections that we make. So feel free to follow all of the mods on stage, but also check each other's bios out and uh, follow them as well. I'm Chef Mimi Lan and I'm done speaking. Now I'm passing the mic on to Kay. Hello, thank you so much, Chef Mimi. Uh, my name is Katie Osuna. I am uh, the host and producer of the podcast Copper and Heat. Um, and we explore the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurants through the stories of people that work in restaurants. Um, and so I'm very excited that Chef Jensen asked me to help host this this room because um, it's something that obviously is very near and dear to my heart working in the industry. So thank you all for being here so much. Like Chef Mimi said, um, the, the name of the room is Six Red Flags of Struggling People. So um, just a little bit of a run of show. So I'm going to have all the panelists introduce themselves. Um, and we're going to talk about the six red flags that we kind of chatted about with the different panelists beforehand. Um, and then after that, we'll open it up so that the audience, y'all can share your story, ask questions of the panelists, um, whatever you need. Um, and just as, you know, a quick content warning, we're probably going to be getting into some, some deep stuff. Um, we might be talking about, you know, lots of different mental health challenges and, um, possibly suicide. So if you're not in that headspace to, to talk about some of that, maybe come back to it. (laughs) And like Chef Mimi said, like it's going to be recorded. Um, it'll be going live on Tuesday and just check out Chef Jensen's, um, clubhouse bio for that. So... With that, um, how about each of the panelists, if you can just take some time, maybe a minute, minute and a half, um, let us know, you know, your your story and where you're located. Um, yeah, why don't we kick it off with Kat? 
Hey, everybody. I First of all, I'm in awe of all the people who are on this panel as well, especially Katie. Your podcast has been such a game changer in the industry. And, and Jensen, just the work that you are, are, are doing always, and especially this month, is just it's just really, really incredibly important. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, I am senior editor at Food and Wine and founder of Chefs with Issues. And I've been you know, dealing with mental health issues my entire life. Um, and I'm especially grateful for this particular topic because as a person who's been dealing with these issues you know, her entire life, I I have pretty good insight into uh, all the work that it takes to cover up and not show your red flags, which means I'm really actually pretty good in, at, at this point at noticing them in, in other people. Um, so it's sort of a, you know, conundrum there. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, we've got to take care of the people around us um, in, in, you know, it, it, it's just it's it's more important than ever because we've been isolated for such a long time from one another that we you know some of our skills might have gotten a little bit rusty in this particular arena so i'm really really glad that we are talking about it today so we can sharpen those back up uh as we re-enter society i am finished right here <laughs> thanks kat um maria why don't you go next Hi, everybody. I, I agree. So inspired by all of the perspectives that will be shared today and just the previous conversations that really brought this conversation to light to talk about it. So I'm so thankful for um, people who've been spearheading the way to make it conversational. I, I think that's really important. Um, I am a chef by trade. My husband, also Scott Campbell, is a chef by trade, and we are both founders of Cooks Who Care, which had developed to be a well-being concierge specifically for the food and beverage industry. After being in the, in the business for over 15 plus years, you, you see a lot of stuff, and it became more than ob observing, like, what can we do about it that provides actionable care? So for five years, I've been doing this work trying to uplift unheard voices and point to solutions that help us at least get somewhere a little bit further down the road um, and normalizing new conversations. In addition, I'm a productivity coach and partner for One Degree Coaching that's worked for hospitality brands like Honey Grow and locally in the Philadelphia area, uh, Saxby's Coffee. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this panel and just everyone here who's just, again, using their power in a way to kind of make change for something that's very necessary. So thank you. Thank you so much, Maria. Um, Renisha, if you want to introduce yourself. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. No, you're close. It's Ranisha, just like Ronnie. <laughs> Excellent. Also known as Miss No White Jacket. If um, you can't pronounce it, it's literally Miss No White Jacket. Uh, everybody gets what it means. I'm a mental health coach and a life coach as well, but I'm a serial entrepreneur and a, a LSC mom. I'm actually a local chairperson. I live right here in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm really passionate about mental health in the, the hospitality world because I've actually witnessed people take overdose and take their own lives. And I'm actually a diagnosed mental illness i have several diagnosed mental illnesses myself watching people uh get together and speak about this now is very big for me because when i first got diagnosed i didn't hear people speak about it and i denied it for almost like five years so 
now I'm all about awareness and I do personal life coaching for people who are learning coping skills. I'm also a support uh, team member at a mental health counseling, which means I just help people with patients with disorders like mine. So I'm just here to help and talk or whatever anybody needs because someone who as well deals with these illnesses and the things that happen and the way our mind plays games and hospitality industry somehow believes people are robots. <laughs> um, I just like to speak on all those topics because we can't do that in certain areas and forms and be free. So I really like the whole, uh, the whole concept of these groups and rooms. And thank you so much for, uh, I don't know if it's just Jensen <laughs> and Katie and Mimi uh, for inviting me to this session. Thank you so much, Ranisha. Um, Chef Mimi, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Maybe. Sorry, I'm driving. Do you think you can get back with me? I, I should be home in a few seconds. Thank you. Absolutely. I'll circle back. <laughs> um, all right. Well, then maybe Dr. Rani, again, I'm sorry if I mispronounce it, but if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi. Yeah, no, you pronounce it perfect. So my name is Rani. I'm a um, psychiatrist. I'm a holistic psychiatrist and I'm a well, well-being coach. Uh, my passion is prevention of ill health, but I work with people um, with you know any kind of mental health issues, from stress and anxiety to very severe mental health. So when Mimi um, asked me to be part of this panel, um, I really wanted to to get on board because I think part of what I do is psychoeducation, and I think um, if people were to understand. First of all, the you know what's that there are some warning signs. I think that that's the starting point, and then um, then they can start looking for answers. Um, and I think um, other than prevention, I also love love to help coaches and therapists gain mastery uh, to guide their clients from mental suffering to to true mental health. So that's my that's my mission. That's what I do. So I I'm. Looking forward to this conversation with everyone else, and um, thank you for inviting me up here. Thank you so much, Dr. Rani. I think Dr. Katrina is the last last one. Then we'll circle back to Chef Mimi. <laughs> Hi, y'all. I'm Dr. Katrina. I'm from the Mississippi Gulf Coast area. I am a mental health professional therapist. I have 11 years experience. Uh, I work with adults and children and adolescents. Uh, I pretty much work with everybody with all aspects of diagnosis. Uh, anything, I'm a big, strong advocate for mental health professional. I mean, mental, mental health awareness. Um, I'm here to uh, help any questions. I was familiar with the stressors that goes on with people that's struggling in the hospitality. I actually work with clients that work in the hospitality industry, like food and restaurant, and I, I noticed their frustration of it. So I'm Dr. Katrina. I'm done for now. Thank you so much, Dr. Katrina. And then Chef Mimi, if you if you are ready. But if not, we can get rolling. All right. I think we'll we'll move on to the next part and Chef Mimi can introduce herself when when we get into it. But so as as we talked about earlier, the topic is is six red flags of struggling people. And we really wanted to 
to highlight this as I think everybody here on the panel has already said, like we really need to support each other and understanding what these red flags are or what these symptoms are, recognizing those so that we can support each other better, better in the industry. Um, because, you know, it's been kind of swept under the rug for so long. Um, I'm really glad that folks are starting to have, have these conversations um, so that we can hopefully make some big systemic changes in the industry. So we obviously there are a lot of different um, red flags or symptoms or, or signs, but we kind of picked six that we want to delve into a little bit. Um, so each of the panelists, y'all can jump in um, wherever and just if we can talk about, you know, what it kind of looks like, how it presents in different people, give some people some tips on how to recognize that. I think that would be awesome. So the six are, um, number one, just inability to focus or forgetfulness or absent-mindedness. Um, number two is withdrawal or avoiding interactions and social events. Number three, changing um, eating patterns. Number four, mood swings or irritability. Number five, talking like negative self-talk or talking about hopelessness or expressing exceeding pessimism. And then number six, behaving unlike themselves or a major change in character or personality. So feel free to kind of move in and out of those. But let's let's start with that inability to focus and forgetfulness and absent-mindedness. And maybe I'll just kick it off. Maybe Kat, if you want to kick it off and then anybody can just jump in. Yeah, as a person who has ADHD, which was diagnosed in my 40s, um, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's what's been going on for low, these these many decades. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who are like me who have been, uh, you know, who, who are, you know, who have been in a place where absent-minded and forget, absent-mindedness and forgetfulness, gosh, I'm bobbling my words right now, are sort of par for the course. But if it is something that is new for somebody, that is a flag. Um, but I, I wanted for a second to just talk about the sort of like push-pull of people in the front of the house and why it might be especially difficult to see this kind of stuff with them. Because, uh, you know, as you all know, they're the people who are the face of a restaurant or a bar or a hotel or whatever. And they don't have the luxury of being able to uh, to to exhibit or show a lot of this kind of stuff so they might still seem like they are doing okay because that mask is can be a really really important thing for you as a coping uh, strategy if you're a person who deals with mental illness um, it also takes so tremendously much energy uh, to have to maintain that um, and it becomes a really really incredibly exhausting thing if you were in this really horrible dark state and then have to go and be in front of people when you are, are feeling this way about yourself you can even trick yourself into thinking you're okay because for the duration of your shift before or after you can have that smile on your face and there's this crash afterwards and a difficulty in reconciling um, that for yourself so you might even be able to be on it while you are at your job and then completely fall apart uh, right after and have that difficulty focusing you might be able to do all the those things at work, but then your personal life is a shambles and nobody is going to see that. So it is, um, you know, it's a matter of if you were trying to identify this with people who you work with, it's establishing that conversation maybe outside of work hours before, after having maybe, you know, some sort of like, you know, social experience with people. Um, so you can get the real story when they're not having to have that mask bolted to their face. Excellent. Thank, thank you for sharing, Kat. 
Um, if anybody else wants to jump in, um, how if you have any experiences in, in kind of uh, supporting people or recognizing these things, um, feel free, please jump in. I'm sorry, can you guys hear me? Yes, yes. I can. Yep. So I totally agree with Kat about the wearing mask. Uh, I'm actually known for wearing masks. And, I'm, and it's not a literal mask, but it's changing my appearance a lot. My absentmindedness was something that actually made me notice that I had ADHD. Not to take from my other mental disabilities, but I was first diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So when the absentmindedness came in for me, it wasn't a symptom of my bipolar. I was always just staying on task for something that I had no reason to. Like, even if I was going to work, I would be at work zoning out at bread. I used to work at Jimmy John's. <laughs> and I would sit in front of the oven for hours, just looking at the bread, popping bread, back and forth, back and forth. It took one of my coworkers to actually walk up to me and say, hey, bro, what you doing? I had no idea I was sitting there for so long. When you see people at work, sometimes you are in your own zone because you just you're just trying to get the day over. But I, I always say, just look at the little symptoms. Sometimes they're just standing there doing their job and then they're no longer paying attention whatsoever. They're just in space. And I say we all have space moments, but a spacey brain is usually one that's trying to find itself. And I. I'm just going to leave it at that because we're just talking on the first subject and I don't want to go into the other points, but yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ranisha. And something I think both, both you, both you and Kat have mentioned is just, you know, checking in and noticing those things. So I'd love to hear from the other panelists as far as like managers go or other people who are in positions of leadership, like what, tips would you have for them as far as like um, implementing some sort of systemic check-in so that they can recognize these things a little bit more? I don't know if anybody else wants to, to chat on that, Maria or Chef Mimi or any, anybody. Yeah, sure. I, I think too, it's about noticing what habits are. I mean, sometimes we're too busy to even realize what's going on. Um, and some managers, they're just like, I got to get through the day. I got to get through this, this session. I got to get through this hour. I got to get through this service. And we're not really paying attention to some of these signs because people are pushing through. Um, it's very much what I know was mentioned earlier about like, I have to put a facade on that. Everything is fine. Uh, you can depend on me. I can get through this moment. But really, are we even observing even the moments that I know you were just talking about a second ago, where if you're in this area of almost feeling lost or just a sense of emptiness, I always have encouraged people like just look up from your station and not just like what is happening on the stove and what's being worked on with your hands. But have you looked at that person's face? Do we notice that? you know, oh, they keep messing up orders or things are kind of not being pulled together or they're missing lots of components on their plates or, you know, these small nuances that we may not go like, man, that's been happening like all week, like 
this is an extended period of that person's habits or are we just looking at tickets and our heads are down and we're chopping and we're moving and we're baking and we're you know I think it's even these observations where we're like whoa all right I just got through an entire shift did I even notice like Kat was saying like maybe after shift is the time to talk about that or to to bring up a conversation to go you know you haven't really been yourself lately like what's going on everything all right or are we just leaving being like, well, I already stayed an extra couple hours today and I don't have time for that. And I got to get home. I got to start the next shift because we don't even have enough people, um, you know, and setting some sort of these little things that, you know, become off. It's not like, oh, I'm mad at you for not meeting these expectations I have to be like, is there something going on? Is there something beyond that? And allowing people to have this blended space of at work. Your home and your life come with you. They are not separate entities when you're spending three quarters of your time on the job. You can't separate and go, oh, your personal life is left at the door. You know, it's not, we don't talk about that here because there's no time for that. Um, And I think just leaving space for these moments where like these are practically family people who are working around you to like notice some of these subtle differences and changes in behavior it's just something I think we need to do more of absolutely yeah thank you and I think that's a great segue into number two um one of the red flags is just like withdrawal or like withdrawal of yourself or like avoiding interactions and social events and some of that so I don't know if chef I saw you chef Mimi uh, unmuted. So if you want to introduce yourself and you, if you want to talk about this one first. <laughs> yes. Um, I resonated with what Maria shares so much and I want to piggyback on that. Um, but I'm Chef Mimi Lan and I do Vietnamese pop-up dinners to connect people with food and through storytelling based on um, sharing my culture. So I would like to share a story to piggyback on what Maria said. There was a chef in this kitchen I was working at who was always rude to me. He was unfriendly. He never smiled, never looked at me when I talked to him like I didn't even exist. So I I thought he was just this rude and arrogant chef until one day I asked a chef friend of mine, what was up with him? Like, what was his deal? And she shared with me that he had a traumatic traumatic past and he tried to commit suicide a few times before I was like wow that was such a revelation and a lot of times we're so focused on people's behavior and how it affects our feelings but sometimes their behavior may not be about you but more about them so once we look at things more compassionately it may help us not to take things personally when someone is being short or rude Of course, there are jackasses out there who would disrespect others on purpose because they're just jerks. But my point is we never know uh, people's stories, so we should remind ourselves not to judge people on the surface. Um, However, at the same time, there must be a way where a hospitality chef could feel safe to share more about what's going on in their lives so we could be more understanding towards each other Um, I respect people's privacy and I don't expect everyone 
who works together to share intimate details about their lives, but knowing a little bit about what each other is going through might help the staff to know how to maneuver around each other because none of us can read minds, right? So how do we cross the line between respecting people's privacy and making them feel safe enough to open up more about themselves and what they're going through so we all could connect better beneath the surface. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, just having those conversations with coworkers or employees or whatever, that's just like, you don't have to tell me what's going on. Just like, if you're struggling, feel free to tell me that and we will take care of it. I think that's an excellent point. Um, I don't know, Dr. Katrina, we haven't heard from you yet, but I'm wondering if you have any um, tips for how to kind of recognize that that red flag of avoiding social interactions. Or Dr. Rani, if you want to jump in. Hi, hi. Yes, of course. Um, what what um what came to mind from all the conversations we're having right now is um is the importance of making time. See, even the manager would be in the head. You know, we are we are all so busy. I mean, whether it's hospitality or um the healthcare sector or anywhere else, uh, we are also busy. And I think there's something about just um I guess it's the it's a culture, isn't it? It's a culture of the the workplace. And um, someone said it's, it's, a, it's a family, isn't it? So, and that's, I have noticed this amongst ourselves, like I work in the healthcare, obviously, and how we are so, you know, we come to work and we straight away, we look at work and we get on, you know, with everything that needs to be done. And there's hardly any space to take stock of checking in and, you know, just um, checking in how we are doing, even in meetings, like we just go directly to the problem. I guess it's the culture thing. It's about like, oh, we don't have time for all this. But if um, we were to raise mental health awareness, we all need to just start with ourselves, don't we? We need to pause. We need to uh, reflect. Even if it's after a shift, if we don't have time before the shift. And I think that's that's really important. I mean, as the manager or as someone leading or as someone, perhaps you're not even the main manager or the top top chef maybe you know I'm, I'm just I'm just wondering here if if you are more mindful if you are aware uh, because you have had a difficult time yourself or you're very mindful about, about um, the, the signs the, the six red flags we're going to talk about it's just like a subtle it's just a little bit of pause might do wonders and intuitively you might know to check in like hey what's happened you're not your usual self you know you normally crack jokes or you seem to be life and soul of the party but you have gone quiet um and and if we are friends with them on social media for example if they have suddenly gone quiet they're not doing you know they, they, clearly they're also withdrawing from social media which they seem to be active on at, at least getting in touch with their friends and everyone that again is like um would be useful to just uh, have a word with them say can i just have a word with you lately you have been you don't seem to be you know talking to us or you're not on um, you know, sending me the messages that you normally send and so on. Is everything okay with you? 
And I think we do not, we should not be shying away from those conversations. And it doesn't have to be long conversations. It can be just short one. And if you think there's something more to um, follow up on, you can always catch up another time, just text them and say, hey, I, I'm sorry, I had a busy shift. I didn't have time to check, uh, check in with you. Or um, it felt like you had more to say, uh, share, but we both didn't have time. Uh, we both have time tomorrow or you know, whenever. Can we catch up? And I think that's the way, you know, it's just being intuitive. It's just being aware and posing ourselves to say, I need to check in with that person. So that's, that's what came to me. I'm done speaking. Thank you so much, Dr. Rani. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me and kind of leads into the next the next um, one that we wanted to talk about. But, you know, implementing different times of rest or like breaks and actually having that time um, I think is really, really important. And I mean, number three is change in eating patterns. And I know that's just like, that's very hard in restaurants. And when I was working at this three Michelin star place, like when I first started working there, they didn't have a set family meal time or anything. Right. So it was like work, 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 get your prep done. And then maybe have five minutes to like chow down on some family meal before jumping into service. And um, like, I just had so much anxiety and just like so much stress that I just like wouldn't eat. <laughs> I wouldn't eat breakfast because I was worried about what was going to happen during the day. And then I wouldn't eat family meal because I was too stressed out about service. Um, and so I know that that um, like disordered eating ha is talked about a lot in, in our industry. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, different ways that we can implement check-ins or and maybe it's just having family meal or different ways that we can recognize that red flag and like the change in eating patterns for people. Um, let's see who, I don't know if Chef Mimi you want to talk or Dr. Katrina, if you're, if you're ready. Maybe we'll go Maria. Yeah, go ahead, Maria. Sure. I think if we think about even in culture, in family settings, right, we find out about relatives, people we care about when we all sit together, right? We have to notice because we're forced at one time where our, our time actually crosses over with one another. I mean, I got a little guy who's eight years old and I, I'm not even the best at it because life is just so busy. But COVID really showed how important and I think this is right now the time for this reassessment that people are thinking about what's important. What am I making time for? What am I valuing? And the locations that actually implement, like, this is our family meal. We pick healthy foods and not just the scraps that are off of something or just the unintentional children's menu that becomes the main meal every night, like chicken fingers and french fries. We're having family meal. Here it is in a pan next to, next to the dish tank. You know, um, here's a bucket for you to sit on, you know, while you have your meal, but actually allowing people to A, have breaks, allowing them to say, this is intentional and I'm forcing you to, even if it's for a few minutes, everyone gets a turn. Let's say your place can't do it all at one time. That's fine. I know plenty of restaurants that have like specific service times where like they're not doing lunch. So it's easier for that location to go, we're all having this meal before we kick off dinner service. And a lot of times those are in tasting menu restaurants. So sometimes the consistency of schedule, depending on what you're serving, can't happen during that time. 
But the intentional ones that say, hey, we do family meal. A, it's a benefit to working here. B, we prioritize it. We make that time as something to say, hey, let's make sure there's a salad. Just like with your family, like you can focus better, which ties into the other point that got brought up easier if we're eating well. And sometimes we know this. If we're, if we're helping individuals who are from different communities that may not have access to food, maybe that's the first time they've eaten all day so we we can make these healthy food choices that we know listen this is going to help everyone's performance if we eat well we're noticing this even in the school children's school level that why is that not as important when we're adults and we're working on fumes to push out these meal services for customers and thinking like well i don't understand why this person isn't performing optimum level i gave them chicken fingers and hot dogs and french fries we need to be more aware. Yes, thank you so much. Love that. Yeah, like I said, like that was not the case at a lot of places that I was working as well. And it definitely like took a toll on my body, um, which of course took a toll on my mind. So yeah, I think it's something that's incredibly important. Um, if anybody else has any thoughts on that that topic, I'd love to hear. Yeah, I'm just thinking of, you know, I'm, I'm actually making dinner tonight for a friend of mine who has a you know, really successful uh, and, and new restaurant that he opened during COVID. And I'm thinking about, you know, the, our social times that we get together. And uh, he, he does something that I see always happens with people, you know, people I love who work in restaurants, like we're sitting down at a regular meal outside of work, and they're wolfing it down, and they can't break that habit outside of work because you are so used to just like sitting on a you know trash can or you know something like that like just wolfing it down and there isn't that kind of break and if you're doing that to your your body constantly like it's just going to have a long-term effect so you know again i, I know i keep uh, referring to you know stuff that happens outside of work but um it's so important to be able to take that time and just like really sit and uh, you know and with the people in your lives who are you know who are in this whether it's you or whether it's you know your family or you know whoever it happens to be just like take that time and consciously stop even say like hey we are gonna we're gonna slow down right here there aren't like 10,000 you know orders coming in or anything like that let us ritualize this time let us light a candle let us you know just do something and and mark this moment and ideally some of that stuff is going to bleed over into, um, you know, maybe into that work time, like even if somebody has to wolf something down really, really quickly, because that's just how it happens to be, they can still even for a moment to stop and take the pleasure in what they're eating and, and just like have all of those, you know, those mindful sensory things going on, like how is this tasting? How is this smelling? What does this look like? Might not, not always be great if that's like chicken fingers or something, but at least there, there is that moment. Can I add something? Of course. Um, I, I was thinking about the change in eating pattern more as a red flag. And so one of the things that happens when someone is not doing very well is um, a lack of appetite. So again, so if you notice that normally a colleague of yours uh, is very well or, you know, they, uh, you know, you, you, you know that how, how they eat their you know, eating pattern and you feel like they are skipping their meals or they don't seem to be hungry anymore. Um, that, that could be a red flag or the other that it could be the opposite, which is a lot of comfort eating. Because sometimes when people are struggling, then they can they can do that as well. So again, just looking at the change in eating pattern. 
uh, could alert us to the fact that something is not going well for this person. I'm done speaking. Thank you so much. And I think that also leads into the next one we wanted to talk about, which was mood swings and irritability, which um, I think can be kind of hard in the industry where emotions run so high sometimes with the, the stress of the atmosphere. Um, but I think that's a really important one to be able to recognize. Um, so I don't know, Ranisha, if you want to talk about that one, I haven't heard from you in a little bit. Or anybody? Okay, go ahead. I couldn't hear the question. If you can just run back for me one more time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Just the the fourth kind of red flag we wanted to talk about was uh, mood swings and irritability, which can be maybe hard to recognize within the the industry with like such a heightened emotional um, atmosphere. But um, yeah, how, how have you seen, you know, some of that? I've been that first person and also have been one of those people to give those mood swings. What I can say is one of the things that a lot of managers, even me when I became a manager, sorry guys, (laughs) even once I became a manager, I didn't notice that. I thought they were giving me, you know, back talk at that point versus them actually having a bad reaction to what was happening. A lot of managers think that someone is just being disobedient to the rules when they're trying to give themselves space. And I think we don't notice the normal forms of irritability unless we're used to them just snapping on us, you know? When somebody comes out and they just have an attitude, then they just start snapping versus responding. We all react different to each occasion, yet when we respond, we respond on emotions. And a lot of people don't take that into account that that irritability is one of the reasons why. We look over the emotional part and we go back to business. I think that's something as humans, we should start trying to get back in touch with when we're in business because people, you can see it on their face. It may just be a facial expression or it could be a body language. They could just be moving differently. Those type of things are big signs. Or they could just be coming in late, oversleeping. Their face looks tired. A lot of people actually look tired, and they're not. I'm going to stop speaking for now, guys. If you can notice, I'm in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, no, go, go for it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If anybody else wants to jump in. I remember one time working in a facility where it was actually, it was a change of behavior to irritability from um, a manager that was pretty easygoing. Um, And I think it was the first exposure I had ever had to um, individuals with high anxiety, you know, needing, um, you know, CBD or or different products and they they didn't have it. And um, they lost access to, to healthcare, and we started noticing like he was my, my supervisor at the time. And I thought, gosh, this is so strange. Like he's like, like 
up and down, like what's going on to find out that he eventually, after the week ended and we knew like everybody was kind of out of sorts, the line wasn't running right. Like we kind of were all like, what's, what's happening with this person. And at that time I had no skills or ability. And plus he was my boss. So I'm like, can I talk to him about that? Like, can you go up to tell your, to tell your employer that like you think something's going on to find out that after the week had ended, he actually opened up and said like, normally I like, take something for my anxiety. I haven't been able to get it lately. Like if you've noticed, but it was the first time that was ever conversational for me. And I got to tell you, it was like a huge eye opening. Um, I grew up with, with mental illness in my family, not really understanding it very much, but there was a lot of mood swings in my, in my home without a lot of explanation. And this was the first time that I was like, wow, he told me that. Okay. Oh, all right. That's cool. Um, and just having a different sense of compassion. I know that was brought up before. Um, and this was years ago that I thought, gosh, I just, I never had anybody just open up about that. So, um, you know, I think too, once everyone gets more exposure to what we're talking about from the perspectives that are even shared in this conversation, we can also become more self-aware, even if it's not our own personal story. Right. And I think that's the piece that like the importance of this conversation is helping us identify that if it's not us or we haven't had that happen to ourselves or how do we notice that in other people that I just value um, everyone's contribution. Yes, absolutely. Any anybody else want to jump in on this one? I'll just say that um, sometimes it could be um, just that having a very quick conversation might help because um, you know it could be just that it's the it's uh, the instant you know the the mood swing the irritability the quick temper could be just that um, they have a lot of stresses going on and all they need is a little bit of uh, um, extra you know um, perhaps um, some less time. Um, or, or more time to just um, unwind. And it might be that they really needed to catch up on the sleep because I know that one of the things that goes horribly wrong at the beginning is the lack of sleep. And uh, a lot of people uh, in the, I mean, I have worked with a few clients from the hospitality uh, industry and I know how pressurized your environment can be and the long hours. So this guy was putting a lot of hours in and they couldn't sleep at all. And, you know, they're, they're, they had no social life whatsoever. It was like work after work after work, after work. And, um, and the little time that they had, and they just felt that like they needed to do something else. So they were compromising on the sleep. So, so sometimes just having that kind of conversations and just taking a break, uh, you know, a couple of days might just nip things in the bud and stop the stressor from going to the tipping point and resulting in something, um, some, something uh, more, uh, something worse. So that's me that I'm speaking. Yeah, I also want to know, it's, it's really good to be able to tell people, like, there's a lot of shame 
associated with this like if somebody comes to you and says like i noticed this thing about you like the immediate reaction might be like you know shame over that because you are trying so hard to cover these things up so if you approach somebody and say the same like you know hey you're not in trouble here it is not you know this is not a judgmental thing i just care about you that goes so like the just the way that you approach somebody with this goes so far because they're going to have to work through their own emotions over like oh my gosh somebody noticed i got caught out and you know and that can potentially be really embarrassing because mental health isn't you know we we don't have great language for it and you know and cross-culturally it, it's um you know regarded in all kinds of different ways and you don't want to show the weakness but if you can go in there like with care and kindness being like hey i noticed this thing i just how can i be of use i am here if you need i'm sorry i just wanted to mention one one time another problem would is a lot of people don't notice that there is someone in the environment that does have a mental illness and a lot of people don't speak about them after they heard jokes or you know a lot of people uh crack jokes on different mental illnesses like hey you're bipolar or you must my adhd is acting up non-diagnosed people with you know the symptoms of these issues but once a lot of people get in those type of environments they're too afraid to actually speak up because like you said it was the shame in it I've seen that happen more times and people end up going to drugs to heal themselves instead of actually reaching out and getting counseling or help because of the stigma behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to kind of um, talk to what both Kat and Dr. Ronnie were saying is, you know, um, building a, a culture of consent and boundaries in in the restaurants or the places that we work is really important so that it's like, hey, I've noticed um, XYZ about you. Like, can you talk about it? Do you have the space to talk about this right now? Or, um, you know, allowing people to be able to set those boundaries um, around like, you know, I really need some time off. Like, I can't work that extra shift that you just asked me to work. Um, I think that's all all really important um, when talking about this as well. Um, and so shifting to number five, um, we wanted to talk about, you know, some of the negative self-talk or talk about hopelessness or pessimism, which is... I think can be um, a really big challenge to talk about. Um, so let's see, um, Maria, if you want to take this one off. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think if you, if anyone's been in a kitchen environment, you know, pessimism exists. Um, optimism does not. But being an eternal optimist myself. Um, I feel you notice a pattern of behavior in others if it's extended or sounds extreme, like every situation will go wrong and is expected to go wrong. And that it is very unlikely that anything of your goal or aim or idea uh, will ever be fulfilled. And it, it sometimes in conversations that I've been open to is like, wow, that just that keeps going. You know, you just notice it keeps going down a rabbit hole of uh, all the things are are going down negative or and especially if you know the person, you're like, wait a minute, that's 
that seems off a little bit, or I'm noticing that's a pattern. All right. I hear it again. Um, you know, in, in some of these things, like, you know, you have suspicions to go, well, is it something related to, um, you know, something that may be going on at home? Is it something that they're using drugs? Um, you know, and it's pretty, pretty often I, I've ran into these situations to, um, you, you hear it in the way they talk. So for example, I remember hearing, um, a chef that, you know, was so passionate about food and the meals and committed to the overarching goal and had a team of people that rallied around them. Like I would do anything for this chef and the team felt the same way. But then you hear this conversation go into a point like, well, it's just food, you know, or like every situation kept being brought up into a negative point. And I'm like, there's something going on here. I, I don't know what's happening. Maybe you start noticing it in the, in the way that they're cooking in the kitchen or the cleanliness is down or they're missing, you know, certain things or they're moving slower. Um, and it just doesn't seem like them because in the kitchen, you know, everything's fast and it's quick and you go and you, you barely have it. It could be the opposite where everything's a little bit, uh, hyperactive and it seems like it's going too quickly. Um, but often it's matched with what they say. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm wired to, to hear these things. Um, and when you have a counterbalance of like at home, I have positive experiences. I've worked a lot with, you know, working so hard to create functional relationships. It's easier. I feel in my opinion to observe them when you have both balances. But if you only hear negative talk and you only hear those things, or maybe you're just starting to say these things out loud, I feel it's important that in any social situation to address it or to just say something. Um, often I'm usually the one in a circle. I'm like, Hey, um, what's going on there? Uh, or I'll say something caring and loving to connect with them on it. Or when I see them on the side, I'll stand next to them instead of in front of them. I'll stand alongside of them. This is also the help with, with my own personal therapy, but I've just, you just start to notice a pattern of things. And, and now I'm not afraid to, to bring it up and address it because I just think if you don't, what if that person goes home and I, I was the one that did see something, even if they say, and eh, nah, I'm fine, I'm whatever. I, I feel obligated to at least say something because most often in a social situation, if no one brings it up then and you don't either, you know, then, then what do we do? You know? So now I, I feel that it's just important to just, you know what, say it. You know, or if you do know that someone passed away in their family, like I bring it up now and I'm like, man, that must be really hard, you know, and like everything going all right with that. It is stressful. I just address what it is and just, just speak to it. And then if they tell me, Hey, I, I really don't feel like talking about it right now. I respect that too. But, um, I try to find an opportunity because most often they don't have an opportunity to talk about it or bring it up. So I, I at least try to do that. And often they, I've only been told a few times not to, because maybe it wasn't the right time, but more often it's been, they do want to talk about it. Um. Yeah, absolutely. And I, something that I've heard said a lot is like, well, I don't, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to make it worse. I like, just don't talk about it. It's better that way. 
And I think that's kind of the the attitude that not just in restaurants, but in like U.S. society, I think sometimes it's just like, oh, we're just not going to talk about this right now. Um, but I'd love to hear from from anyone just, you know, what are different ways that you show people that you're there to support them um, in a way that, you know, is like, um, like you said, Maria, like conscious of like, if you don't want to talk about it right now, that's totally fine. But just know that I'm here for you. Like, what are some of the, the script things that you use to do that with folks? It all depends. Uh, but I would definitely say that, um, you know, if I, if I, I'm also the first person to, to contact somebody when I find out about emergency news, like they lost a parent to suicide. I call them, you know, I, I, I literally am like, oh my God, that must be awful. And most often if I'm in a social situation, they'll be like, why would you do that? They need their time. They need their space. I'm like, I would like them to tell me that. I would like them to tell me that they want that to be their time and space. Now, I unfortunately have gone through a situation where I, I lost a parent really early on and it was suddenly. And I felt really lonely in those moments because no one would talk to me about it. And I'm, I'm a stone extrovert. I, I've said that many times. I like talking to people, but I noticed I, I, was, I feel that when I would bring it up in front of people, I noticed them feeling bad. And then I'm like, oh, I don't want to make them feel bad or I'm dragging things down. And I know lots of people think that way. This is my personal perspective. But I, I feel because of those moments, I feel empowered because I was like, you know what? When I was going through this experience and everyone's like, oh, that's really sad that this happened to this person. I don't want people to feel bad for me. I just wanted people to reach out for, for me and just say, hey, are you all right? Are you okay? And so now like, I will, I will call them. You know, even if it's if someone lost a baby, you know, I think to your point when you said like culturally, like we don't bring up only oh, need their time, they need their space. I do think that there is something about that to say if I just address it or if I gave them permission to bring it up, I let them tell me they don't want to talk about it. Um, and often <laughs> I'm definitely that person that if I'm I meet perfect strangers and somehow I don't know how it happens. I just, I stand next to somebody and people will tell me, Maria, it's because you're really open. I don't, I have no idea why it happens. Maybe some of you professionals on here, it happens. I, I'll go to a restaurant and somebody just tells me about something very personal. And I'll have my husband tell me like, do you know that person? I'm like, I don't know that person. And I, I don't know why they just wanted to bring it up. Maybe it's my eye contact. Maybe it's the way I just looked at them, you know, and I smiled and this is pre-mask time. It's harder to tell now if somebody has a mask on, I would love to know how, how people do that on this call here. But, um, you know, it's, it's for me, like reading someone's facial expressions, it's so much harder when it's covered or you want them to hear you and you're wearing a mask. So like often now I, I call or I text just cause I feel like it's more connecting, especially post COVID. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing you say um, is, you know, that active listening aspect of things is like when somebody's telling you something or sharing something um, with them, maybe it's maybe it's the eye contact, maybe you just ask really great questions, people, I don't know. But I think um, people are more willing to open up and, and chat about things if you know, you're a really active, engaged listener. And um, I think we can kind of move to the last one, because you mentioned this as well, Maria, but like, um, you know, if there's a really big shift in their personality or their character and, and they're just behaving them like themselves, that's the last red flag that I wanted to talk about. Cause I think that can be kind of tricky 
um, to approach. And so I don't know, Kat, if you want to start with this one, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the, the best thing I ever got to do for this is to take crisis counselor training. And I, I did it through Crisis Text Line. They are an incredible resource. Um, if folks don't know about it, it uh, anybody can in the U.S. and Canada, and I think maybe Ireland now, um, you can text 741-741 and you're put in touch with a counselor 24-7. And it's basically like to get somebody from a real moment of crisis into a cool calm. But they have this ladder um, sort of escalation uh, language that they use and they teach you how to ask somebody just, you know, straight up like are uh, to assess a situation. Um, so I've gotten to the point where, you know, if I feel like a friend is maybe struggling friend, even a stranger, a lot of, you know, so people approach me online and I say like, are you going to hurt yourself? I have to ask you this. And it's so awkward. Um, at first when you do it and now it's just, you know, it's just what, you know, what you have to do. And I came to a point where I realized that it is really much better to have an awkward conversation with somebody than, um, you know, than the alternative of, of losing them later or something else happening. So, um, you know, giving yourself the vocabulary to do that and to give yourself, give yourself that kind of scaffolding to build this conversation on is is really a tremendously empowering thing that you can build into all aspects of your life like whether you know somebody really well or if you you know or or if it's just a stranger who's approaching you with this stuff if it, it teaches you how to approach it in a really non-judgmental way and even if you know that they are they're not considering harming themselves right in that moment if you know even if those thoughts were lingering around the edge it kind of throws it into sharp relief because they think like oh my gosh was i actually thinking this um you're there there've been I I wish I had this data right at my, my fingertips right here, but there have been a lot of studies that saying like not bringing this stuff up is way worse than bringing it up. Um, and, you know, you are not, if, if somebody is already in that sort of bad space, you're not going to be the thing that drives it worse. Um, you are only going to be a, you know, a source of comfort and stuff. Like even if the, you aren't the person who they end up talking to, just knowing that somebody is paying attention and gives a damn and is willing to get past their own personal discomfort is such a tremendously huge thing. So I just, I just really encourage everybody to, you know, get that training, whether it's from crisis text line or from, you know, any of the other groups that are out there, like it is genuinely life-saving. Absolutely. Uh, a couple other ones, um, as far as training goes, like mental health first aid, I know has been recommended to me before. And then um, the QPR Institute, um, like suicide prevention training, the Giving Kitchen is based out of Atlanta, but they're they help like they, if you apply through them, you can get free um, training from the QPR Institute. So those are a couple of resources that I know about. But if anybody else has any like training resources, I think that would be really helpful for folks to know. You can jump yeah, on the in. American Association of Suicidology has really incredible resources. And over the past few years, they have gotten much more attuned to uh, the restaurant industry, which is tremendous. Excellent. Can I share something? Absolutely. So um, we can only be in a position to help others when we are in a good place ourselves, right? So if someone behaves negatively because they're struggling, but we internalize it as something uh, directed towards us personally, 
we're not going to want to help them because we're too busy judging them and too busy taking things personally. Um, we can't control how others act, but we can shift our own frequency. So frequency is like everything in, in life is neutral until we give it meaning and that meaning evokes emotion and then that mo emotion is the, the frequency. And so frequency shifting is about knowing that you have the power within you. And this goes for the struggling folks and the folks that are being affected by these struggling people. So our power is to change the way we internalize things. So then we, uh, especially, you know, uh, people who are super sensitive like myself, um, I had to uh, also work on developing positive frequency because I'm a worry ward by nature and I'm often hard on myself, um, you know, but it's taken me years to work on myself to shift my frequency and I'm still a work in progress, but I can see the positive impact of changing my frequency has done to my behavior and attitude. And now I see more of the silver lining of negative things uh, instead of dwelling on the, the, the negativity of it. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, uh, because the only thing we can change is our own behavior um, that uh, we have to kind of uh, change, you know, the way uh, how we internalize uh, behaviors from struggling folks that we didn't know that they were struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm going to open it up to anybody who wants to ask questions. So if you have any questions or you want to share your story, go ahead and raise your hand. Um, but yeah, to what you said, Chef Mimi, um, I think I, there's a really cool tool that, um, the not nine to five folks have put together. If, if you don't know of not nine to five, they're a really great organization that talks a lot about mental health, um, challenges in the hospitality space. And, um, one of the tools is just, you know, like, how do you help someone through crisis? And the first one is assessing the risk. And part of that is, you know, like, how is this going to, am I in the space to actually help somebody? And to, yeah, to your point, like, that's incredibly important. Um, so if any of you have any questions, thoughts, share, stories you want to share, um, feel free to raise your hand now and we can, we can get to them. Thank you so much to all of the panelists for everything that you've shared. I think this has been incredibly helpful so far. You're doing you, such a great oh, job. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. I'm uh, all right, Marcia. Welcome to the stage. Thank you. I'm just loving this conversation. You all are so insightful and and um, thoughtful in the words that you're using as you share information and stories and and your own experiences and having been someone who is outside the hospitality industry, but works with a lot of clients as well within and has studied clients within the hospitality industry. I think that one of the things that has always come up to me is the fact that anyone who is in the hospitality industry is truly someone who thrives in helping others. And um, someone spoke about the mask being on and others have talked about 
um, the front of the house, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I think is, is really helpful is to remember that, um, that most of your colleagues, when you're in hospitality, they're there to serve and they're always putting themselves last. And they can very easily compartmentalize to do that. And so I think that um, sometimes in sharing your own experience, and even if that's just when I work with clients, I'll say, oh, you know, I, I set myself up to fail today. I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't do my protocol before I went to bed. And then I didn't sleep well. I should have just gotten up out of bed and done X, Y, or Z. And then I would have slept better. But I can tell that I'm just off today because of it. Or I know that I haven't been taking care of myself as I should have. And everything feels bigger because of it. And it just makes me not be able to reach out to people. And just you know, sharing those kinds of things, I think um, your own struggles in a really sort of offhanded way sometimes allows someone the opportunity to say, oh yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually dealing with that right now. Or to feel that they aren't so alone without actually pointing out to them that you are noting that something is off with them. And the other thing that really, um, for me, is, is even with the mask on, is really looking at one another, you know, really actually taking a second and just seeing the people around you that you see every day. And I promise that when we do that, we actually get to recognize, if not specifically these red flags or understanding that they're red flags, we get a gut imp impulse. Oh, that's, well, that's not how so-and-so normally responds to this or reacts. And those are really good tools to use to trust your instincts when it comes to the people around you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. As, as someone who has for a long time kind of like hidden my, my gut feelings and been like, mm, I don't trust that. Like just recently I've been like, you know what? I really need to trust my gut a little bit more. <laughs> It, it, it they call it your gut for a reason <laughs> you're so right uh Marcia, about um the fact that hospitality people are so used to just sweep things under the rug and put on a happy face no matter how they feel inside and so it, it's so easy for them not to show what they're really feeling and i think um in one of the last i think last week's room someone said um you know we should ask people how are you but then add the word really in the end and it makes all the difference like how are you really you know and i, I think that's brilliant uh because we ask people how how you doing all the time but when you just put it that way you know it kind of surprise people and and make them think you know it just gives that extra care like they really want to know how you feel and not just you know casually saying how are you yeah absolutely and i mean i'd love to hear anybody else if if anybody has any other questions feel free to raise your hand now um but i'd i'd love to hear um some of the other ways that y'all recommend you know like asking someone how are you because i think that's something that you know we just started like it's out of politeness or whatever that we're just like oh how are you 
and people will often respond just like I'm fine oh good and like they won't answer for real and I I saw I mean Instagram is what I get where I get a lot of my um excellent advice nowadays but I saw a post recently that was just like here's all these different ways to say ask how are you and get like um and actually show that you you care to hear the response so I'd love to hear any other um any other ways that you ask how are you (laughs) this is such a great conversation I am I'm so fascinated by language um, I'm not a writer like some of you are on this uh, talk here, but I'm like, I just realized a couple years ago when I brought on a team writer to Cooks Who Care how important word choices are. And we're not as thoughtful in our language as we think we are. And then so many things have double meaning. Like we're not aware of our body language. We're not aware of our tone. We don't know how we say things. And now lately we have masks on and it's so hard to even read lips or find people's facial expressions when they're saying something. Let's say I asked, how are you? But I was like, how are you? And I look rushed. Well, I'm not going to answer because I'm like, well, this person doesn't have time for me. Or if the way they're saying it or their body language is moving away from me, I'm like, well, they're not being present with me in this moment. So I'm just going to let that go. Um, And to the point earlier, it's like we have these automated responses because culturally that's what we do. But if we made intentional space for them, including one-on-one time with our teams, I mean, gosh, we're so conflict avoidant or even just opening up a dialogue, like saying you have an open door policy is not enough, right? If I say I have an open door policy and come to me with whatever you want, but I'm always busy and every single time you talk to me, I don't even open up my body language to show that I'm ready to listen to you, then we're not setting up the infrastructure to do it. As part of, um, you know, being also a coach and a leadership trainer to guide and train individuals to say, listen, don't just master this station, like master yourself and, and learn how to work with different personality types that aren't yours. And so when, you know, being an educator for such a long time, I had the opportunity to be exposed to thousands of people pre-pandemic here when I say that. But it's like you learned like, wow, there are so many different people that aren't like you. How do they like to communicate? And even just saying hello and looking at people, like being present in that moment to just pause. You don't need 30 minutes, which would be great in an ideal world as a manager to be like, I have 30 minutes a month with my team that I get to share with this person to check in rather than waiting until the end of a season because they've been busting their butt filling in stations and coming in to your point about not setting boundaries on their day off. Like 30 minutes of your time is like the world. And then these couple minute interactions when someone shows up instead of just jumping right in, maybe we just connect first. And we ask a couple questions about you know, things that you remembered about them. (laughs) Like you talked about active listening earlier. Like, oh, I remember last week they bought a dog. Um, Let me bring it up. Do you have a name for the dog? Like something that furthers the conversation to show I was hearing you the last time you spoke. You are a human being that I acknowledge in this world. And I know this is important to you. And then they light up when they're like, oh, wow, you're really listening to me. 
I'm bad with breeds, but maybe you can help me with what kind of breed your dog was. Um, and just these little exploration questions that aren't about you, they're about the other person, really help you uh, and the other person feel like you're connecting with them and their interests. I love what you just shared, Maria. It's so true. It's not what you say, but how you say it and your body language. Um, so, I, I, you know, your question, Katie, made me think, how do we ask people how they're doing uh, that sound like you mean it and that you care enough to want to hear their reply? So if I see someone that looks a little off, I would ask, instead of how are you, maybe I'll ask, are you okay? And just stop for a second, look them in the eye, and ask like you mean it, are you okay? You know, and then be ready to listen to whatever. And maybe they'll go, okay, well, uh, I'm okay, and not really want to talk about it, but they might say, you know, I'll tell you more about it later when they're busy right now. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Maria and Mimi, that everything that you just said is to me so key. And it's, it's often, even I was so interested in listening to the six red flags because my entire practice is about watching for red flags and solving problems before they become problems, both physically, but everything physical makes anything in, in our mental state more. You know, it, it elevates. If there's one single physical issue that's going on, it is going to make it everything else harder that, that we have that we're dealing with. And so being able to have conversations, even sort of sometimes I think of them as the um, I, I think, oh, this, you know, these Marcia conversations where I'm just chattering on with someone about something that seems really not to the point or not about the things that we're there for. And you get so much information from someone because they're not on guard. And, and even the not asking, how are you? But asking, what'd you have for breakfast? I'm trying to come up with new ideas. Did you have anything good today? Or uh, are you watching anything? Or um, geez, did you get to be social this weekend? Or, you know, like, were you stuck at home? Those kinds of things, like just, or again, just saying, you know, like, oh, I love that color on you. You know, I'm having such a hard time getting myself out of this black rut, you know, or whatever it is. And, and people then, when you talk to, with them about something else that is something you notice about them or something you remember about them, it allows them to actually speak to you. And I think that from the red flag standpoint, that's when you really can um, you know, kind of tune up your spidey sense and know is, wait, they didn't, they're not jumping in and they're not excited about talking about their dog anymore. And they love to talk about their dog or, you know, they're, they're, they teared up practically or froze when I asked something about their spouse. I, I need to make sure that, you know, if they need some extra time or whatever, that like just paying attention to the things that people respond really positively to and light them up and noting when you bring those things up and they aren't lit up. I think that that's, you know, to me, those are, those are big flags. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing everyone. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any questions, but I, 
think we are going to wrap the room up after maybe one more if anybody has any. Just gonna take a second to see. No? All right, well, thank you all so, so much for joining us. I think this was an excellent conversation. I hope that a lot of folks will find this helpful. I know I did personally, which I love. Um, so I think just to wrap it up, if everyone can just share a little bit about, you know, where can we find you, social, emails, websites, um, whatever, you know, just uh, we can just go around the circle and just real quick share some of that. So um, Kat, where can we find you? Yay. Um, on Twitter, at Kitten with a Whip, on Instagram, uh, Kat Kinsman. And honestly, like if you just want to reach out, cat.kinsman at foodandwine.com. Still getting Chefs with Issues fixed. Somebody put malware on there, but chefswithissues.com or go to the Facebook group there. It's it's pretty active, several thousand members. And just Katie and everybody involved in this, thank you so much. I learned so much today. And it's just, it makes me feel better for the future to know that there are so many just like good and kind and caring folks out there. Yes, agreed. Uh, I love the Chefs with Issues Facebook page. Thank you for creating it. <laughs> it's very helpful. Um, Maria, if you can just let us know where to find you. Absolutely. I've always been inspired by this conversation and beyond. So I'm so grateful for the trailblazers like Kat and all of you on here just making this current. So I'm thankful. Um, Cooks Who Care is on Instagram. We are um, very active with an IGTV, uh, Facebook as well, Cooks Who Care. Um, DM myself at Chef M. Campbell on any of the platforms and Chef M. Campbell um, at uh, gmail.com um, and more. So thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you so much, Maria, for being here. Manisha, if you can share where we can find you. So I um, can be found as Miss No White Jacket on almost all platforms. I actually have a Facebook page dedicated for people to reach out. There's a telephone number as well on there. That number is available for people to reach out if they're ever going through a crisis and don't want to text an automated line to start up the conversation. Um, yeah, but I'm on all social media platforms. Thank you guys for the time and the space. Thank you so much for sharing. Chef Mimi, where can we find you? Hi there. Um, thank you so much, um, Katie, especially for modding this room and everybody as well. I learned so much today. Um, my Instagram is listed in my bio, so um, you could click on that. It'll take you right there. Um, I also have um, several food rooms this week, every week, tons of them. Um, but tonight uh, at 7 o'clock, we have a mental health room about self-care uh, if you want to attend. And then on Tuesday, we have uh, a, a room full of TV executives uh, from different cooking shows and also their star alums to share um, experience behind the scene and work in the show. So that should be a very interesting room. Yeah, thank you so much. Just follow me and um, you will see all these rooms in your hallway. Excellent. Thank you so, so much, Chef Mimi. Love it. Um, Dr. Rani. Hi. 
Uh, thank you so much. Um, been really good to be part of this room. Um, you can just find me um, on. Um, I think I'm most um, active on LinkedIn and Twitter, but also on Instagram. Um, it's all linked up to my bio. Um, my my actual name is Rani Bora. So um, if you're looking for anything to do with well-being, I do run uh, regular rooms on Clubhouse around well-being, around stress management. Any kind of thing that uh, to do with mental health, definitely, um, yeah, just if, if you want to get in touch with me, by all means do. So, yes, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much for, for sharing. And Dr. Katrina, you're last up if you are still here. Um, yes, uh, as I said, I'm a mental health professional. I'm here to help you with anything, or any advice. I also have my own room called Crown for a Cause. I also will be doing mental health uh, self-care today, uh, later at 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time. So uh, you can also reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter as well. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you again to all of the panelists. This was so, so helpful. I really, really appreciate it. Dr. Katrina, I just realized, um, sorry that we never made you, uh, gave you that green badge for moderator, but um, better late than never. I'm so sorry. No, and, and you and I are going to be in the same room. for right, uh, my first. Exactly. Yeah. Um, seven o'clock Eastern time. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for, for having me being a part of it. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you for bearing with me. I I don't use Clubhouse very often. Just going to say that right now. So thank you. Thank you all. And thank you, Chef Mimi, for, you know, helping host and moderate this because that was very helpful. <laughs> um, and thank you all again for being here. And um, I, like we said at the beginning, it'll be up on Tuesday. So share it out with some friends who you think need to hear a little bit more and learn a little bit, little bit more about the six red flags. And thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.